Welcome to a brand new episode of Behind the Sounds. I'm here today with the wonderful Fraser Church. And thank you so much for being here. Um, just moved to Nashville, which is great. Yep. How are you settling in? Very well. I mean, it's been a week and a half, two weeks I've been in Nashville. And uh, it's already starting to feel a little bit like home. So uh, thank you for asking. Slowly but surely I'm settling in. <laughs> yeah, good. And so you just moved, as you were saying, from, from LA. So how, obviously you've only been there a few weeks, but how is it different? Because they're two of the biggest music towns, cities in the mm. world, but how do they differ? In every, every way possible, from the way that people talk to the food that people eat, to the way that people write music is like a big thing. I think that was one of the main reasons that I decided to move to Nashville was the way that people create songs. It's like I coming from a musician background and being a guitarist and a singer and a drummer, I love the way that there's just an organic element to every, every, everybody's songwriting process here starts on an instrument. Whereas mm -hmm. LA, people start on the computer and they've got a little, you know, sometimes it's just like a four bar loop of like some strange sounds. And I find that harder to write to, as opposed to just like playing some music in a room with people. Yeah. And well, you found the best place to do it. <laughs> um, and I know, you know, you've been writing with, with a lot of people. Um, how is it obviously being, because we're amazingly still in a pandemic, how is that? Obviously one moving is, is a big deal in, in any sense, but in the middle of this and then kind of settling in is it quite open are you being able to kind of get out and do what you want to do at the moment hmm. you know I think I if it wasn't for the pandemic I probably would have felt a little more anxious moving to Nashville I would have thought oh I'm leaving all of my contacts behind me and my songwriting circles in LA who you know those who I have gelled with I'm not going to be able to work with them but there you know zoom is the new way of collaborating so it gave me the pandemic has been tough in a lot of ways but it's also brought made the world a little bit smaller and made collaboration in my opinion a little bit easier you know I can sit at home and work with people and um, I've I've slowly been getting better at recording myself I've got my microphone over here and you know a skill set which I feel like I maybe I wouldn't have invested so much time into so you know the, there are pros and cons of this pandemic but the plus side for me has been the world has become a little bit smaller yeah def there's so many advantages to it I, I really have to say and so going back so we were just talking you you grew up we actually grew up not far from each other which is really nice for me to have someone kind of local yeah. so just outside of London and what was it like growing up I you have a very musical background so growing up what was what were your kind of influences around you that mm. made you kind of into the musician you are today oh, good question um so my dad is a full-time musician he's a piano player and a jazz composer and a jazz professor at the royal academy of music in london Amazing. um so he i remember like growing up in jazz clubs my whole life wait you know i would I remember falling asleep to you know my dad playing gigs and I would be you know sleeping on the side of the stage as a as a kid you know so 
that was my introduction to uh, music was just always going to gigs, always being around music talk. And my mom plays guitar. So there's that. And also my dad runs a gospel choir. So I started singing in, in the gospel choir in the soprano section, you know, as like a little kid and slowly kind of made my way through through the ranks into the, you know, the tenor and alto. And as I grew up, as my voice changed. Yeah. And so did you kind of feel like you were set on that path from a young age? You were like, this is, this is going to be my life. I'm so invested already. Was it kind of inevitable? I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to do something to do with music. Like, I love to sing. I actually played a lot of drums when I was younger. I, I knew I wanted to have some sort of job in music. But ironically, I actually, when it came to being 18 and deciding to go to study music, I actually thought I was going to go more into the, like, sound design and production world. And it was last minute I decided, oh, I can't, I have, if there's people singing up on stage and playing instruments, I've got, I would feel so left out if I didn't join them. So it was like a, it was almost inevitable, you know, I thought, I, you know, I have, I'd be kicking myself forever if I didn't pursue it in one, in one way or another. I love that. And, and as you say, with, with obviously your dad growing up around gigs, was there any kind of, see such a variety of music that you listen to but are there any other genres that you kind of were like this is what I want to play and this is what I want to learn or any particular maybe artists that you mm. always were drawn to to maybe learn on your like the first time you played a song on guitar things like that yeah I mean James Taylor for example my mom grew up listening to James Taylor and at first I didn't really like James Taylor I thought I, I you know as a kid my mom was playing her music and it was like her music and my music and my dad was playing a lot of Steely Dan and Tower of Power and Earth, Wind and Fire. And also, you know, jazz stuff like, you know, Count Basie and Frank Sinatra and uh, that world. So I kind of got both sides, the jazz world. And then the for the guitar stuff, it was like James Taylor. And I remember listening to James Taylor play like um, Caroline on my mind, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And that was like, a, how does a guitarist how are there so many things going on when, when one guy is playing the guitar? You can hear the melody, you can hear the bass line. He's got like a backbeat with his thumb going on. It sounds like a full band. Mm -hmm. And that was like really eye-opening to me. And it really helped shape the kind of guitar playing that I, that I do today. Yeah. And he, for me, like I look at James Taylor, he was one of the originals of people that did so much with just a guitar and has kind of you know, been a real trailblazer for that kind of going forward. So I, I love that you've related to that. And obviously you kind of then went into the musician and artistry world. And what was that quite a natural transition into, right, I'm going to start writing my music, playing my music, playing gigs. Was there a time in your life you were like, right, this is what I'm now going to do? Or did it really naturally happen? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I... I knew I wanted to play guitar. I knew I wanted to sing. And I loved writing songs from when I was really young. I think I wrote my first song when I was nine or 10. And I, you know, I just started performing them, you know, as you do around your friends or around your family. And that, it wasn't like I decided I want to be an artist or I want to be a songwriter. It was just performing my songs for my friends and family started off like that. And then eventually I started doing more gigs. And I, I remember moving when I, when I was 18, I went to Lippa in uh, Paul McCartney Music School. Mm -hmm. And that was when I really 
started opening my mind to the different kind of career choices and you know different opportunities uh and it kind of started to make sense that I wanted to be more of an artist and focus on that and then songwriting was like a subgenre of that you know mm-hmm. and how how did you realize that that was how did you have a plan to kind of go into that you know was it I'm gonna go try and gig everywhere I can or open mic nights because obviously being in a music school you're going to be surrounded by a lot of people wanting to do the same things but did you have a a specific plan of what you were going to do? I mean I remember finishing Lippa in Liverpool like a four-year music degree and that's very safe where you're you know, every day you've got a schedule and people tell you where to be. And then you finish and you're like, okay, I'm in the real world. I have to make a living in music. Mm-hmm. You know, where do I begin? And I just remember thinking, I am going to play my songs in London five nights a week, anywhere that will have me. And whether it's an open mic night or a hotel or a restaurant or a tour, a support tour, anywhere that will will have me. I remember playing and it was all, you know, unpaid stuff. It was just like, I'd get my guitar on my back. I'd get on the train. I'd go into London to an open mic night and I'd play three songs. And then I would network with people in the audience and mm-hmm. add people on Facebook. And that was the way I kind of started off. Yeah, and it's obviously paid off. <laughs> I mean, you've done pretty well from it. So throughout those times you were doing that, was it, because obviously you're, you're now in the, in the States and, and you've got a career out there, but did you ever think, did you always have a plan to move or did you think I'm going to try London first and see if I can get it here? Or was that always, let's start here and then we move? Um, you know, I, I was, I've always been driven by wherever the biggest and most suitable opportunity for what I wanted to do. You know, I would try and chase that. So mm-hmm. I remember going to Nashville for the first time how old was I? I must have been 21, 22. And I got to Nashville. And this was before I even went to LA. I got to Nashville and I just thought everything kind of clicked when I arrived in Nashville. The way that people, I've met a lot of like-minded people. Um, a lot of people were focusing on exactly what I wanted to focus on. And I, I, I fell in love with that. And, and you know, Nashville quickly became a bit of a goal for me like oh I want to end up over Nashville or maybe LA somewhere in the states Mm -hmm. um and after five years of living in London and playing gigs in London um I just thought you know I'm ready for a change and that was when I decided move over to the states to to try it over over here yeah amazing and again was there a plan because like it's a big move obviously going from London and obviously you went to LA first so it's a big city (laughs) did you did you know a lot of people did you have people that you were like right I'm gonna go to this person for this or was it really kind of spontaneous and just see where it takes me okay so my first time ever in LA no plan I literally Mm -hmm. booked a two-week trip on my own got an Airbnb and just walked along Hollywood Boulevard on my own. And it was like, oh, look at this city. Oh, this is the city I've heard about. And I'm, you know, I could see the BMI building and Sony and Warner. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is where it's all going on. And uh, and then I went home again. I had no meetings. I had nothing. But I, I just wanted to go and soak it in and, you know, get a feeling for it. And I didn't actually move until I had my first cut 
and it was with Charlie Puth mm-hmm. and it was a song called Patient. And I actually wrote it with one of your previous guests, Ben Johnson. Yes. So yeah. that was my, you know, people say, oh, you, you know, I felt more comfortable moving to LA knowing that I had some sort of traction or something to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. something to get my foot in the door. Uh, so that was my, that was the catalyst, which got me over to the States. Amazing. And so, yes, Ben was a guest a couple of months back and we, we've heard his version of this song and how it was written, but I would love to hear your version too. I'm sure they're not too dissimilar, but <laughs> for anyone that maybe hasn't listened to Ben's episode, can you tell us a little bit about how that song came about? Well, I, 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 was, I think I did six or seven trips to, uh, to Nashville from the UK before I moved over. So I was like going back every three months. And my very first trip, I met this band called Track 45. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually in Ben's house right now. Um, <laughs> he's my best buddy and he, I'm, I'm moving into my new place in, in a week. But um, he, he and I, every time he comes to LA, he stays with me. So we, we've become really good friends. And I met Ben and his two siblings, KK and Jenna, who are in a band called Track 45, on my first trip. And they were like, oh, we've never met anyone from England before. And I was like, wow, you know, I've, I've never met a, a sibling band from Nashville before. And we really hit it off. And they said, if you ever come back to Nashville, you're more than welcome to come and stay with us. And <laughs> as a Brit, it was like, the Southern hospitality, this is so, uh, I've never heard uh experienced such kindness after meeting for 20 minutes but we stayed in touch and sure enough on my next trip I stayed with them and we didn't write a song that trip but we hung out a lot and then my next trip to Nashville I stayed with them again we didn't we didn't write a song that trip but we hung out a lot Mm -hmm. and so I think it was like six or it was my very last trip and my seventh trip and it was the last song I wrote on my last trip to Nashville um, wow. and uh, I think I was literally about to head to the airport and Ben said hey I've got this like idea called patient and he had this melody please be patient with me and you, you know please be patient with me and we sat down and started working on it and in a couple of hours we sketched up this piano vocal and you know I know know what you need baby I'm gonna be we had all that we put it all together and three months went by and you know Ben did a piano vocal and sent it off to the one guy he knew in Nashville called Ashley Gorley and it was like months went by and I didn't hear anything and I just remember being in London and mind you I was writing 15 songs every trip so I would have like voice memos on my phone and you know, this was the first song that, but, you know, I remember getting that call and then saying, hey, man, are you sitting down? And I was thinking, yeah, what's, what's going on? Is everything okay? And he said, you remember that song, Patient, we wrote? And I said, yeah, yeah, why? What's going on? He said, Charlie Puth has recorded our song, Patient. And I, you know, I'd never had a song recorded by anybody mm-hmm. before. And that was the moment when, um, you know, that song, that song came about. And that was the first time that I had a song cut by somebody else. And that was the beginning of me, you know, moving to LA. 
Yeah, and it is, we've spoken to Ben about it, it's such a great track and and it was his first cup too, if I'm correct. So for, for you both to do that together must have been pretty special as well. It was really special being like really close friends and having that happen to us both at the same time. It was just like a very exciting moment in our lives because, you know, re- really we we hadn't had any success. We were a couple of nobodies and Charlie Puth had never taken an outside song by anybody. And he had just released the song Attention, which was like huge at that time. So it was like, we all of a sudden, every door opened. And, you know, I spent years knocking on doors, begging people, listen to me play and sing on guitar and getting turned away. And now it's like, everybody wants to meet with you, you know? And it was just this surreal moment of like, you know, getting, getting this incredible opportunity. Yeah, and, and what a song to start with. And so at this point, obviously, you're getting a, your first cut as a songwriter. Did you have a kind of definition of what you wanted to be? You know, was it you wanted to be an artist or you wanted to be a songwriter? Or again, was it just you'll take what comes? Because obviously getting a, a cut for Charlie Poof is a pretty big deal. <laughs> but if you want to write for yourself, it's, it's a little bit different. So was there something that you were aspiring for at that particular moment? Well, I remember you know, as a singer songwriter and as trying to become an artist, it's so hard, you know, you, that was my only focus for so long. And, and I just remember thinking, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to become a singer songwriter and make a career out of it? And I remember looking at what Jesse J did, what Julia Michaels did, what John Bellion has done, what um, Plested has done, all of these incredible, uh, Bruno Mars, incredible artists have done, they've written themselves into their artistry. They've, they've written, they've proved themselves as songwriters to, and, and then their artist career blossoms as a result of their songwriting. And, you know, I thought maybe that feels like the right way of doing it. You know, um, it's such a difficult world to break into. And if I can write these songs, maybe that'll, that's how I can get some meetings with these with these industry people. So that was my mentality back then was just, I, I got to prove myself as a songwriter and write the best possible songs I can. And now I plan on, you know, I feel like these two careers can run beautifully alongside one another. For sure, for sure. And in the midst of this, obviously you're visiting Nashville a lot. You are in LA, you've got a cut on a, a pop song by a pop artist. Just out of curiosity, where did kind of country come into it? Did you did you have any kind of relationship with country music mm. at all or was it a grow and grow and love <laughs> that kind of happened as, as the time went on? It's funny because I remember hearing about people like Ed Sheeran, James Bay, all of these UK singer-songwriters going to Nashville to write their songs, right? Mm. So, you know, James Bay worked with this guy over in Nashville called Steve McEwen and they wrote that song if you ever want to be in love I'll come around and um I thought you know James Bay's not a country singer and Ed Sheeran's not a country singer Um, but he does stuff with Taylor Swift you know and there's a country element to what he what he what they do but I just thought you know I could come to Nashville and write songs that maybe they'll sound country if you sing them like this and you do the accent and you get you know there are Mm -hmm. ways but then if you dress those songs up in a different way, all of a sudden, it's just a really good song. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily a country song. So, you know, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of country music, but I, I grew up, I was more interested in 
writing the best songs possible. And I think Nashville is the place to do that. You know, the, I, I really feel like the best songs in the world come yeah. from Nashville. Oh, I agree. And then, and then I could go back to uh, to England or back to LA and dress them up in a maybe more of a pop world or maybe more singer songwriter. But, um, you know, it's I think it's all about how you dress the song, which, you know, you can rein it back from the country world and or or make it more country if you, you know, throw mm -hmm. some guitar in there, for example. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and talking of people who are kind of country but also pop is, is someone that particularly in, in the UK is massive and that is Ronan Keating. And I'm I really want to ask about this because for me growing up, he was huge. I mean, he still is massive, you know, he's on the TV all yeah. the time. Um and he has obviously dabbled in the country world, you know, he did he made when you say nothing at all big here in the UK, which baffles me still. <laughs> that um, it came from him but but that's and people don't realize that you know maybe he is you know recording country songs and he wrote a couple of tracks on his his album last year um mm -hmm. what was that experience like particularly I'm intrigued about the duet that he did with Emily Sandy because especially as I say in the UK they're two of the biggest names here so yeah. how did that kind of come about that experience well honestly that particular song we so, so this was shortly after I had my Charlie Puth song and I was asked um, to write for Westlife. Um, and I was writing with a guy called Ed Druitt and another, uh, there's a, a writer named Lindy Robbins was at this particular camp as well. I don't believe she, she didn't write that Emily Sanday song with us, but she was there. And we were working with Westlife that day. So I had this beautiful riff. I, I, let's see if I can just play you guys the riff real quick here. <laughs> like, um, it's like, you know, it was that type of thing. And yeah. it kind of felt like a bit blackbirdy, but it was like, had these nice little passing notes. And I thought, I'm gonna play it for the guys and see what they think. And Westlife were at this camp and uh, they thought, oh, I love that guitar riff. And we started working on it and singing and we were working on the Westlife album together. And that was the idea. And they actually recorded that song first. Um, wow. So I have a version of um, Mark from Westlife uh, singing that song on my phone. And, mm. uh, and, uh, and then, once we had that beautiful version with Westlife singing it, Westlife decided to work with um, uh, oh, what's this? Uh, another producer and the song became available to pitch to somebody else. And we thought, oh, Ronan Keating would just be perfect on this song. Mm -hmm. But that was, and we knew Ronan was doing an album. And I think the Westlife guys are also friends with Ronan. So he ended up hearing the song and fell in love with it and decided to record it. And then I heard out, I heard that Emily Sanday was um, interested in doing a verse. And that was a really exciting phone call to get when I, when I, when I heard that they were doing that song together um, and hearing that final version was just like, it was beautiful. Yeah, what was that like hearing that final version? Cause they're such recognizable voices, you know, both mm -hmm. of them and obviously the two together just blend so well. So for you hearing that final version, obviously not knowing that it was gonna be a duet, what's, what's that like as a songwriter? Those are the moments that honestly, those are the moments that you live for, 
you know, <laughs> it really is just surreal, you know, to hear an artist that you've grown up listening to and you've been such a fan of all of a sudden singing your lyrics or just hearing, you know, this was the guitar that I recorded that song on, you know, to hear uh, Emily Sande singing along to my guitar playing, you know, that was the moment I was just thought, this is so surreal, you know, I can't believe uh, that it does, I, there's no way to describe it. It's this incredible feeling, you know, and I, I still hear the song and it's like, I can't believe that, that I get to hear Emily Sande and Ronan Keating singing a duet mm -hmm. that I wrote. It's like something, it's surreal. And there was another song on the Ronan Keating album called uh, Forever Ain't Enough. Yeah. Another song uh, that I wrote that uh, Ronan heard and was interested in recording and became another single off of his album 2020. Yeah, and, and because he because he did a couple of covers on that album as well. So it must be kind of even more special that he's picked these original songs to, to go on it. And especially as a single. And obviously to, to you as a songwriter, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes a massive difference. So when you get that call, like, right, this is going to be the single, what's it like? Um, is it just like, yes, they picked that one? I mean, there's lots of feelings. It's like, okay, well... You know, an even an album cut is exciting. You know, mm -hmm. you get an artist to record your song, it feels great. But to get a call saying it's gonna be a single, you know, you start thinking, wow, maybe it'll go on the radio. Maybe more people are gonna hear it. You know, maybe I'll get paid. <laughs> you know, all these <laughs> things go through, through your head. And you just think uh, it's just a really exciting feeling. You know, there's no other way to describe it except for just really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. And talking of singles, we, we have to talk about one of the biggest singles of the last year, um, and that is Mickey Guyton, Black Like Me. That There's so much I want to ask about this song and everything surrounding it. But firstly, I just want to say congratulations because it's been it's been a, a catalyst for so many conversations and obviously for Mickey it's been huge and I can imagine for yourself as well it has been a massive game changer. Um, can you talk me through the story of writing that song? Because I can imagine it, it's probably a bit of an emotional one. A, a very emotional one, yeah. Yeah, um, so Black Like Me was released right around the time of the George Floyd murder and the Breonna Taylor and the Black Lives Matter protests. And Mickey decided to put, uh, I'm actually, I'm gonna go back to the day that we met and the day that we wrote it. So mm -hmm. I, was in Nashville for a week with Warner Chapel, who are my publishers. And um, they set up the songwriting session and it was Mickey Guyton, uh, a producer called Nathan Chapman, um, another English uh, songwriter named Emma DD and myself. So there are four of us in the room. And Mickey walks into the studio and she was really upset and she had been experiencing a lot of um, a lot of hate. She'd been experiencing, uh, I think she had actually been called a racial slur on her way to the studio. And I was in shock. I had just met Mickey and she was so upset. And she said, this sort of thing happens all the time, you know? And we all started talking uh, about the issues that are in America, the, the institutional racism that still exists in America. And we talked for two hours about about just her experience. And, you know, I, we were sitting there listening to her talk and she was on, you know, obviously going through a lot. 
And um, she said, there's a book called Black Like Me. Uh, and it's about a, um, a white reporter who wanted to know what it was like being a black man in the South. And he dyed his skin. And that's what this, uh, this book is about, Black Like Me. And she wanted to write a song about, um, about her experience growing up as a black woman in the South. And we all, we, you know, she just started telling us her story. And I sat there and we, you know, we started writing down these lyrics and she started explaining her childhood. And uh, slowly but surely the song came about, you know, we started with the verse and it's sort of chronological. The second verse then talks about her family and um, the chorus, um, it's hard life on easy street, you know, just white painted picket fence as far as you can see. And we kept writing and, and eventually it only took about three hours and we, we finished that song. And uh, Nathan Chapman put the whole thing together and, you know, he made, made it sound beautiful. And, you know, as a songwriter, I'm so proud of Mickey for being so, um, telling us her truth and opening her heart up to us and trusting me as a songwriter with her heart and her story and, you know, allowing me to be part of that and helping her put her words to music. You know, it was a real honor, honestly, to be part of that song. Yeah, I can imagine. And did you, how long before it was released did you write it? Because obviously the timing of the release was, it wasn't planned to be released at that point, was it? So how did you think it was ever going to be released? Or like how long before it was released did you actually have that initial session? Uh, it had been, we'd written it and I don't think it had seen the light. No, it hadn't come out for, it had been at least six months mm. before uh, and it was just sitting on her phone. And from my understanding, Mickey decided to just post it on social media just to um, help people heal, you know, through this, through this really difficult time. And the response was amazing. And it kind of, I think that her post went viral. And that was when her label thought, right, we, maybe we should release this song, you know. And I, I believe Spotify heard her, heard the song on her Instagram and said, hey, if you can get this out, we would love to promote it and help help it get the, the recognition that it deserves. And the rest is history. It came out and it started to, to blow up. And mm -hmm. it was, um, I think it was voted number one uh, country song by Rolling Stones uh, yeah. of 2020. Yeah. And not only that, it nominated for a Grammy Award, which, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Um, pretty cool and she also performed it at the Grammys so obviously hearing that song anyhow kind of blows, blows you away especially hearing Mickey sing it live because she's so talented but for you as a, a songwriter obviously we're talking about hearing hearing your songs being performed what's it like watching your song be performed at the biggest music show in the world mm. I, you know what, there's a video of me somewhere watching the Grammys and I was in tears, you know, mm -hmm. it was so emotional and I was so proud of Mickey and I'm so proud of what that song represents, you know, and to hear her story, you know, and to hear her vocals are just like unbelievable, you know, they really are. And we really were trying our best to just what, you know, when we, we wrote that song, it was, it was just all about honesty and truth. And it was just, there were no restraints. We, we didn't hold back. We changed keys in the chorus and there's a gospel choir. And it's just, it was so beautiful to see that moment come to life. 
And uh, there are really are no words to describe how breathtaking that live performance was, you know, it was, it was astonishing. Where did you watch it? I was, I was watching it in LA. Yeah. See, so you were so close yet so far. Yeah. I know, you know, I, unfortunately the Grammys weren't in person or like, you know, I, I hopefully would have been there. I feel like, uh, we would have been able to go and watch the performance live, but mm -hmm. it was still incredible to see her perform that song, you know, live at the Grammys on TV. It was amazing. Incredible. And, and for her, like making history with it, you know, um, being a part of it all, how has that changed things for you? Like as a songwriter, have you found that you've kind of more people know your name or it's opened more doors? Has it, has it changed things for you in the past kind of almost year it's been out now? Um, I think it, I think, you know, with every song that comes out, it opens, it opens doors, you know, and help, gives you opportunities to co-write with other songwriters and other artists, but also, you know, it's, it's given me an opportunity to, to speak up about, about all of the, everything that Black Like Me represents, you know, and I feel like a responsibility to, to talk about it and, um, um, and raise awareness of, the institutional racism that you know still exists today in America and, and all over the world. So you know, in the on the side of, of what black of what black like me represents, it's it's I've grown so much like that. And then also in the music side of things, it's really opened doors, and I've been able to collaborate with more great artists and, and other incredible songwriters. So you know, it's just such a positive a positive thing. You know, all in all. Yeah, really, it really, really is. And as I said, it's been such a catalyst for so many conversations and so much change, especially within country music. And um, so I can imagine being a part of it. It's just amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm really proud of being a part of it. Yeah. And so what is currently in the works for you? Like what's next for you as either an artist or a songwriter? Is there lots kind of you might not be allowed to tell us a lot because <laughs> um, I know things are kept under wraps. But what are you kind of currently working on? Uh, well, I do. I am collaborating with a couple of couple of artists who I've been, I've never had the opportunity to collaborate with before, and I am have been a fan of these artists for for a long time. Um, I don't know if I can talk about who they are, but uh, I'm very excited to be working with them. And there's new music coming out very soon. Um, and I'm also putting together my own uh, my own EP. Um, I got to a point when I was living in London where I was playing shows. I, I opened for a band called Status Quo. Yeah, amazing. I opened for them at the Royal Albert Hall and that was like the peak of my artist career. I remember singing my songs, just an acoustic guitar um, and, uh, and vocals at the Royal Albert Hall. And then shortly after that, I focused more on songwriting. So I'm really excited now to rekindle that that um that flame of the you know the artist project and putting out my own music so the next six months i'm going to really be focusing on that amazing and can you give us kind of a little bit of insight is it going to be pop is it going to be country like what kind of ep is it going to be because obviously mm. as we said you've had you've got so many influences in it what what can we kind of look forward to i would i would look at look at some of the you know i i would look at the organicness of ronan keating i would look at the 
the pop sensibility of Charlie Puth, but also the harmonic influences of my jazz upbringings, all of those things. My love for John Mayer, I love mm -hmm. John Mayer. I'd say that there'd be a little bit of that in there too. So I feel like Nashville is the right place for my artist career. It, it, yes, I, I'm gonna agree <laughs> with that. It's the, the best place. <laughs> um, so we, we're gonna have to wrap things up because the time flies, obviously when you're having fun. Um, but as we've discussed, I have three questions for you. I ask everyone the same three questions every interview and um, so all revolve around threes so firstly can I ask you if you can name three songs that you wish you'd have written three songs that I wish I would have written I love Stop This Train by John Mayer mm -hmm. probably one of the greatest guitar riffs ever written and just the harmony and the lyric everything about that song is like the epitome of of songwriting in my in my mind i love neon another john mayer song i'm gonna mm -hmm. give you a john mayer song um and i love um not the only one by sam smith i, yeah. I wish i had written that song it's so soulful yet so simple which i think is so hard to do yeah that's a great song i don't think anyone's ever said a sam smith song which is really so yeah. underrated i love that song it's probably love... my favorite sam smith song actually if if we're picking great great pick oh, um you. so and then i feel more john mayer coming uh three albums you couldn't live without oh i well i'm sorry i am gonna have to give you that's a fine more. we love john mayer right. yeah, okay well i mean two of his albums room for squares and continuum mm -hmm. i grew up listening to those you know and that was really the epitome of where my guitar playing my style came from is listening to all those albums and also you know I love the album the Miles Davis album kind of blue I grew up listening to that and my, you know my dad being a jazz musician I grew up around a lot of a lot of jazz and Miles Davis so kind of blue will be the third album I love that and we we have a tradition because a lot of people say continuum and we we love it but I have to ask you don't have to answer but mm. if you could pick one song from continuum what would it be because a lot of people say it and so I challenge them <laughs> it's got to be it's got to be gravity yeah you and can't I can't beat it you can't beat it yeah it's just got there's something about the way that he's produced this six eight feel of like it's got a soulful all every section is just so beautifully crafted and the, and sonically just the way it's been mixed and the way it's been performed and you know my favorite musicians are on that album as well. The way that you've got, um, you know, Pino Palladino on bass is just like, like his playing is unbelievable. And I think, believe it's Steve Jordan on drums and, you know, John Mayer's guitar solo. Everything about that song comes together mm -hmm. so for me. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That was a quick answer as well. Normally people think oh. for a long time like that. Um, and then can you can you name three artists or producers writers that that you haven't yet worked with that, that you'd one day you'd really like to work with it's funny because I would love to work with Pino Palladino the bass player you know I feel like th there's a the element of live musicianship in music is is often lost especially nowadays mm -hmm. the the way that we make music as songwriters has changed and okay. I miss the craftsmanship behind creating the way the music used to be created. And I feel like collaborating with someone like Pino Palladino would bring that live feel, that organic element into the songs. Hopefully if we ever collaborate, it would mm -hmm. feel like 
it would there would be an extra level of of sparkle there. And um, another collaborator I would love to collaborate with, Mark Ronson, for that yeah. reason. Mark Ronson, another incredible musician producer. I, yeah. I'm really bored to musician producers. Who would be a third? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna have to end with John Mayer. Yep, yep, that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped a bit every time. No, I, I, I'm a big, big my, fan. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd always love to ask. And I think, especially, I think it, sh it almost shows, you know, when someone is, is a musician and an artist and a songwriter, they always are drawn to, to him because he is so good at all three, you know. And yeah. it's one of them things, you, you talk about James Taylor on a guitar, you go see John Mayer and, and him and his guitar, although he does have a full band, he is just a show in itself. So yeah. I love that that you relate to it a lot. And, and I hope to hear some of his influences in the EP. Oh, thank you. I know. Well, I hope, I hope I can bring a little bit of John Mayer through in my music. Yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> um, so I'm going to leave the stage to you in just a second because you are going to play for us. So thank you very much for that. Um, but thank you so, so much for being a part of the show. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure hearing the stories uh, behind the songs. And uh, I can't wait to hear more soon, hopefully. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I have my guitar right here, actually. See Perfect. if I can make sure we're all tuned up. I'm, I might give you a little... Uh, might sing the song the song patient which changed changed the you know really changed my life it was the first song that came out that i was a part of that um opened doors for me um this is called patient Just 
trust me, just trust me, just trust me, baby. You don't want to wait another minute, no, no. You don't want to wait another night. Just trust me, just trust me, just trust me, baby. That's where the guitar is off comes in.